Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Welcome everyone to another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. I'm your host, Ilana Leone, and today I have a really awesome pleasure to chat with Chris Walsh. I'm sure we'll get into a ton of things EdTech because he is a master of everything. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's more like uh, uh, master, uh, what is it? Um, I know uh, that. Of all trades, master of none. Master of none. But beyond being into all things ed tech, he also has a lot going on on the marketing side, the growth, the business development side of ed tech from the advisor and investor side as well. So we'll get into a little bit of that with him too. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about how I met Chris because I feel blessed in life. Sometimes I have people that just continue to pop up in my life. And I feel like Chris, you were one of those people that just, if you think about when we first met at Edutopia, so this was like circa 2000 four maybe 2000 2004 yeah so really i thought it was more like 2008 but no no you're right 2007 2008 2008 yeah so circa around that time and i mean regardless it makes us sound old (laughs) and we're hanging (laughs) out i am am definitely old i don't know about you (laughs) (laughs) so we're hanging out at edutopia and i came in to manage their new membership program where at the time we were starting out webinars because those were the new thing um, and doing other fun things for membership and trying to gather a community of people together for Edutopia. So I came in for that. But Chris, you were managing the grant funded project Digital Generation, yeah. which I always I say was way before its time. I thought it was some of the coolest stuff coming out and it still holds up. I don't think it's on their website anymore, but I just thought it was the coolest stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Anyways, fast forward. I always tell people when I meet other people and Chris is in the room, I say, this is the man that taught me how to tweet. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you always say that's not true, but it actually is true. And I can remember the time when I was sitting in front of a computer and he started a Twitter account for the digital generation. And at the time, Edutopia didn't even have a Twitter account, but you were just talking to people. And I was just in awe. I'm like, how is he talking to people? He seems to know people online and they're talking back to him. This is amazing. Yeah. And I probably had, uh, I don't know, 500 followers, a th- maybe a thousand followers at the time or, or something like that. It, not, not that I have that much more now, but but um, it wasn't even the volume wasn't even that high. Right. Um, but it tells you how active the education community wanted to how actively the educators wanted to use that platform to have some sort of communication that that was outside the walls of their schools. Yeah. And I know I mean, I may have probably gotten into Twitter regardless of that experience, but you certainly just 
mesmerized. Like I was like, well, how is he doing this? Why are educators so active on this platform? And they're so selflessly talking to each other and sharing and collaborating and learning from each other. I was hooked. So I, I definitely wanted to mention that is like our first meeting is us hanging out at Edutopia and like Twitter popped up. Um, you went on to other things after that. You founded a startup called Zaption, which was an interactive video learning platform that I think was acquired by Workday, right? Yeah. And then you went over to Able, and that's where our paths crossed again. So Able is a master scheduling tool, and Chris said, hey, I think you're into consulting now. And I started working with him building up his organic social media spaces. So our paths crossed again. And then yep. now we're just continuing to collaborate. I always learn so much from you. You were, when I started a podcast, I said, we need to get Chris on. He has so much to tell other people. Plus he is a podcaster himself. So it's slightly intimidating me talking to you. No, not at all. <laughs> he has a great podcast, by the way, um, called School 180. And it features conversations with educators, parents, coaches, and basically anyone who's helping kids thrive during this crazy uncertainty of the pandemic of what it's like to be a teacher right now. I like it because you interview all different stakeholders and it's kind of like our podcast where I talk to people deep in ed tech and then educators on the ground too. So anyways, um, last thing around Chris and I'll get him to talk about himself and we'll get into the meat of this podcast. But after Abel, Chris decided to go back to the classroom and now he's the director for the center of innovation at Carondelet high school in Concord. Um, and I had the pleasure of meeting a lot of his students and they are yeah. very, very inspiring ladies. Um, that was such a fun time to do that hackathon with them. Yeah, it was great having you. you in fact, your team won. You were, you were, the, you were the, the winning mentor that year. So that was exciting. I know. And it's just, I mean, I know, I can't imagine that as an educator, people get hooked. And I was hooked because in the beginning of that project, they were not into it at all. You know, they were trying, but they were like, they didn't know each other. This was like a yeah. hard assignment. And then you could just feel it kind of addictive. And they're like, yes, this is cool. All right, cool. And then they just went above and beyond and their their eyes turned bright. They just like went for it. So yeah. that's the stuff. Well, that and gets me then you provided them with, with great guidance. I mean, <laughs> talk about, talk about having the ideal mentor. They just got so lucky because, because you just brought all of your business acumen. You, I think you were only a, a year out maybe of finishing your MBA. So you brought all of that like knowledge with you, plus all your marketing knowledge. So when it came time to pitch, these kids were ready. I mean, they couldn't have had better mentor, a real world mentor. And that's why we do it. Um, so it was incredible. It was incredible oh. you got to collaborate with them. Thank you. I was like, we're going to do a Tam, Sam, some market analysis. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, this is my pleasure to introduce you to Chris Walsh um, to the All Things Marketing and Education podcast. Welcome, Chris. And Thank is there anything so else much. you want to tell the audience about yourself before we get oh, started? Oh, no, that was, way, that was way too much about me. Uh, uh, probably uh, the, the, less, the, the less I talk about me, probably the better, because that, that, was, that, was, that was a lot. Um, I will say one, one small adjustment I would make that to as a as a way to honor uh, my uh, colleagues at Zaption, I was technically not a founder of Zaption. I was mm. CEO, but it was founded by uh, Jim and Charlie Stigler, a father son team, 
Jim's a UCLA professor, and Charlie, um, uh, his brilliant son, uh, who's on the programming and product side. And they they started the company together and then created a prototype. And then I kind of came in at the late stages of that prototype once a little bit of funding was in place to kind of turn it to uh, an actual uh, business venture. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think yeah, it's nice. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, and you can come in with the knowledge you have because they certainly wouldn't have been able to do and bring it to exit the way you did and and just play around and say, Here, here's what educators need right now in the classroom. Well, well again, I, I don't want to take anything away from them. They're both amazing yeah, yeah. people. Jim, Jim's an ed tech entrepreneur himself, and it had a couple of ads. I, I, I'm confident that, that they could have uh, done pretty well without me. Huh. I'm really happy that they that they invited me in because I think we made a great team together and we were able to, to not only improve the product, um, but really figure out a way to get it into the market and, and specifically um, uh, get real traction and meaningful engagement with K-12 teachers and students uh, that, that eventually led to um, a pretty passionate following around the product. And in fact, when we sold, I, I can tell you this little story. Um, if it's okay, we'll just jump right in. But um, uh, when, when we knew that we were about to uh, acquired, one of the things that was really important to us was that the product continued in K-12 because that's where most of our users were. But Workday was buying, as we knew, to kind of use it in more of a corporate learning setting, which they've done quite effectively, by the way, since the the the, the product was acquired and, and most of the team went over to the Workday. Um, they've been very good. Workday has been great to the team. I have nothing good to say, no, nothing but good to say about Workday, um, except one small important thing was that they didn't know a lot about K twelve, and as a result, uh, they were a little trepidatious about getting into that market. And so they made the decision to shut down service for K-12, which really pained all of us because we were so passionate about the K-12 market. Um, but more importantly, it really it really um, uh, pained our customers. We had a really passionate following, and I can't tell you how many um, good and bad notes that I got back. You know, the good ones were, congratulations, we're going to miss you. This was awesome. We love this tool. The bad ones were like, what do you mean? You know, you got to sell out, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, I can't believe you would take this tool away. Of course, the people that said that were mostly free users. So that was, that was pretty funny. Um, but, but it was, it was something that um, was an interesting lesson learned on my end around, around making sure that you're, you know, at, when you come to an exit, how you kind of approach it. And I'm happy to talk more about that. But, but I do think that Jim and Charlie are brilliant um, and, and are, 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 we've gotten to some great outcome regardless of me, but, but I'm happy that, that I was there to, to be an influence. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things when I was first getting into ed tech, I would talk to a lot of educators and they would be very excited about products like yours, like Zaption and all the other ed tech startups that were blooming at the time. But they had a little distress because they said, well, what if I start using this product and then I rely on this product and then they get either bought or acquired or um, or they just go bust. Right. And then all of a sudden I have to redo all my lesson plans. And it that technology was, you know, non-replaceable. So there's a little bit of hesitation, a lot of educators as it relates to ed tech. And I had to kind of understand that as I navigated my career in the beginning and go, oh, really? How interesting. And we saw a lot of that you've seen a lot of that where it's oh, just, yeah it's yeah, just a natural certain. rhythm 
Exactly. And and I would say too, it's um, we were very, very mindful of that um, because again, we, we sort of sensed where Workday wanted to take it. Um, and so what we did as a way to be a bridge um, is we built tools actually um, into our platform that allowed teachers to migrate their content either into another platform. In this case, it was Edpuzzle. We built actual connectors that you could you could click a couple buttons and then you could take it right into Edpuzzle. Um, and that was a competitor of ours. And so, but we said, hey, we want you to keep using the content, not lose what you lost, right? And then secondly, we built tools that help people download it and we built our own custom player so you could actually take the content if you didn't want to use it in Edpuzzle and upload it to a website and it would still work. Um, now it wasn't quite the same. The data went into a spreadsheet rather than our nice analytics and all that sort of stuff. But we we did everything we could in a short amount of time to make sure that the people that were really passionate about our project product could, could could get value out of the time they had spent in investing in it, and and that was really really important to us. Yeah, yeah, and I, I heard nothing but great things, and I remember hearing about your pitch what was it at south by southwest cdu when you guys you guys won that a long time ago (laughs) yeah that was fun yeah we won the 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 pitch competition there that was fun all right well let's rewind slightly um you had the pleasure of starting your career as a middle school teacher right a long time ago what what in you when you were in school you were like was it initially something that drew you to education? Was it by happenstance? Mm. Like, how did you start this journey? Because I think in so many podcasts, we don't really talk about the roots of the, the, the initial why. And it certainly morphs, as, you know, especially with you going into ed tech, in the classroom, out of the classroom. But like, what was that initial spark that you're like, I want to be here in education? Yeah, this one's easy for me because um, I'm one of those people that was just born to be a teacher. There's just no doubt about it. And and although although I considered other paths, I considered going to law school and other things, it was pretty certain that that my path was is was related to working with kids and in particular teaching. Uh, I you know I'm from the classic um, summer camp counselor mold, so you know I spent I spent the the better part of my teen years and youth. Uh, not just um, uh, attending, but but working at um, a number of different camps. I think I worked at five different camps, everything from uh, the church camp where I sort of got started to um, uh, outdoor ed camps for sixth graders to um, camps, uh, uh, family camps for uh, kids uh, with cancer and their families. And so uh, this was this was embedded in who I was. And if anybody out there has ever been a camp counselor, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. It, you know, I'm the corniest, cheesiest guy in the world because of all of that. Um, and I value the, the, the relationships I developed so deeply as a result of that. And so for me, just working with kids was something that I became very, very passionate about very young age and, and got good at. And so it was very natural for me to want to extend that into teaching. And, and of course, intellectually, I loved, I loved the, the, the concepts of not just um, the subject matter uh, that, my, that I might be teaching, but also the, um, the pedagogy. I got very much into and, and really, really figuring out interesting ways to engage with students and to meaningful, get them to do meaningful, deep work. And so that was really kind of who I was from the beginning. So I just rolled right into teaching. I wanted to be a high school teacher, but in 1992, when I was coming out of my master's program at UCLA, um, 
it was it was a recession and there uh, were very few spots for white 22 year old uh, male uh, history teachers in high school. In fact, I even got told that point blank by a number of districts. Uh, and so that that um, forced me to actually go and apply at middle schools. And I'm so grateful for those circumstances because I loved middle school. It, it's one of those places where, you know, you're either born to be a middle school teacher, you either love it or you hate it. And I loved it. You could be corny. The kids soaked it up. Uh, they're still kids, but they want to engage more with, you know, intellectually. And I just had a ton of fun teaching middle school for uh, six years in the classroom at two different schools. Uh, and and the course of that, uh, I had always had a passion for technology, but really got deeply into technology along the way. Thank, uh, really, thanks to Roger Wagner. If you know Roger Wagner, he was on the board of Q for a number of years, but he built the most um, popular product in the 90s, was called Hyper Studio. And it was the very first product that really allowed multi students to, to create multimedia um, with a Mac uh, in meaningful way. And, uh, and I saw that tool. I knew exactly what I could get kids to do with it. We had so much fun with that at, at, over a number of different years. It was really the, my gateway into ed tech. And from there, it just kind of blossomed and, and grew uh, in a number of ways uh, at the school. I, I became the tech mentor, eventually the tech coordinator. And that was right as the internet was about to take off. So in, in, in many of you might remember in, in 1997 or so, uh, we had these net days. Um, and uh, these these were days, maybe it was even 96, where these were um, a day where private foundations and government money were, were put together along with the business world to actually wire schools, physically wire schools, because schools didn't have the internet. And so these net days were set up where uh, professionals would come in and help school get wired. And I was in charge of net day at my school and getting us onto the internet. Uh, and, and that was a big deal. And so then it became, well, now that you have it, what are you going to do with it? And then everything just sort of steamrolled from there. Yeah. Would you say that like opportunities like net day were things that had opened up your eyes and said, maybe there's time to, there, this is a time potentially right now to explore what's outside of the classroom to make an impact. Like what were those moments when you were considering getting out of the classroom? Cause there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are educators that are dipping their toe into the water of entrepreneurship. And then on the other side, the marketers too, just understanding how do we engage with educators that are dipping their toe in the water in that space. Yeah, well, I have a lot of thoughts on on educators turned um, entrepreneurs, but but for my story at least, I'll say um, it, it wasn't actually Net Day that pushed me over the edge. Um, so what actually happened was pre before we um, wired the school. This was Crocker Middle School in Hillsborough, California, here in the Bay Area. Wonderful school, wonderful district in so many ways, um, and they. Um, uh, they let me sort of tinker with tech and I was kind of like the tech guy from almost the day I stepped, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the school. But one day, one of my students, and it probably was 95 or 96, early 96. One of my students came to me and said, my dad's starting an internet company in our spare bedroom. And he wants to know if, if the school needs anything and you're kind of a techie. And so, you know, do you want to talk to him? I ended up talking to the guy, and not only did we hit it off, but I ended up working for him, moonlighting for him um, the summers that I wasn't teaching, as well as during the school year. 
um, at his internet company. And he was a very early internet service provider, hosting company, and domain registrar. And which meant I learned everything about that, everything you need to know about getting content on the internet, I learned almost overnight. I didn't know anything about servers. I didn't know anything about Unix and how to how to FTP into places and drop stuff and let alone do any programming or HTML. And I learned all of that almost within like six months. Um, it was just a fast, fast learning curve because I actually wrote their help site for this company. And so if you write the help site, you have to learn everything. I didn't, I felt like I didn't know what I was writing about. And then I was providing customer support. And before you knew it, I was designing websites for corporate customers. You know, like this is when the Netscape Navigator browser had just come out. And so I was doing all of this really before the school ever even got wired. And when the school got wired, of course, then I started doing it for the school and so on. So that, and, and being exposed to the business world and entrepreneurship right as the internet was was launching was really what made me go, huh, I've got a few ideas here. And we bat them around with, with different people I was working with. Uh, we even approached some people um, at the time who were big names in, in tech and wanted to do stuff in education and just kind of got conversations started. And that's really when I kind of decided I have to do more with this. And, and, um, and so I was living, living like two lives. And my wife uh, and I were talking one day and I just said how stressed out I was and I was doing, you know, I was working moonlighting with this internet company. I was doing all the ed tech coordinator stuff at the school in the district and I was still teaching. And she said, and I was running a summer camp in the summer for kids with, you know, around uh, the internet and coaching. I was doing like way too much and like I still do today. But she says, you know, why don't you do one thing? I was like, a lot of interesting ideas simplify my life. And so that's when I decided that uh, I would apply to the Stanford Learning Design and Technology Program, which was only in its first year, and uh, and that I would I would kind of see if I could start to specialize in education software and and or learning software as a specialty. And, and so that that's really what turned turned me from leaving the classroom kind of officially because I was at uh, Stanford literally uh, during the height of the the internet boom. Uh, the first internet boom. So I was at Stanford and I was right before the bubble burst. And of course, everybody at Stanford, whether you're in the education group department or whether you were at the B school, and I was going kind of going between the two, everybody was talking about like, you know, what sort of uh, internet business they were going to start and so on. And so wrote some business plans, talked to people. And then after that, went into an existing internet uh, company that was more on the development side that wasn't education-based and quickly learned my lesson that I should never do that again because I needed to be focused on learning and kids and so on. And, and so that, that's, that's how it happened. Um, I, don't, I don't think those circumstances are going to ever come about in the same way for anybody else ever again. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a, a switch that flipped. Um, it was, it was a, an evolution over a few years, but I will say it was fairly fast because I was deep in it and I was learning so fast. It's kind of like they talk about 10,000 hours. I compacted 10,000 hours into about three years to kind of learn everything I could in this area. Uh, and, and then that's kind of where I decided I needed, I needed to build on that expertise. Mm. When you say flipping the switch, it reminds me of one of my favorite articles from PBL Works when it talks about PBL and it says it's not a flip switch with PBL. So project based learning in the classroom, it's a dimmer switch. And it felt right. like when you were talking about it, it's like, OK, I can move a little more. It's a gradual increase of exposure, excitement and 
that's that's cool because I think a lot of people can relate to that and look at their environment and just be able to look and say, oh, okay, this is intriguing. And I, I think when educators come to me and say, what should I do? I love the classroom, but I want to be guided by impact um, in education. I just tell them to kind of open their heart and pay attention to signals and pay attention to yeah. things that give them joy. I know that sounds hokey, but that's not what, I mean, I know, I know educators in particular is we're all in this profession, not for the money, but for the impact. And you got to make sure, especially in this time of burnout, which I know you have some thoughts on that we're continuously thinking about that. What, what fuels us? What gives us joy? Yeah. One, one more thing about the transition. I agree with you completely. And is, is that I will say this, that, because my entire like a, a teenage and adult life was focused on school and learning and kids, the moment that I left the classroom was a very, very difficult moment for me. Uh, first going into being an, uh, uh, an ed tech coordinator full time and then eventually going to grad school and realizing I wasn't going to go back to the classroom. Those were difficult difficult transitions for me. Uh, and I, I, I've told the story to a lot of different people, but one thing that, that was like, just uh, like hit me in the face was about time and about scheduling. And, and so I still remember what one day sitting in my little closet of an office as an ed tech coordinator, realizing I could do anything with my time. I, I didn't, there wasn't a period one, two, three, four. I didn't have a lunch. At a, I could go to lunch whenever I wanted. I even remember going to lunch at the Safeway driving during the school day thinking I was playing hooky and then seeing all these people out driving around going, what, what are all these people doing? Why are they out? Who, who would be out during this time? Don't they have a place to be like a school? And so just the schedule, having lived in a, in a school schedule, for 30 years between a student and a teacher, it literally changes your brain to think that, that this is how the world operates. And to realize I had complete control over my schedule was a huge aha and a huge transition to make. And then once I've realized what I could do with that freedom and that flexibility, I never wanted to go back. And I never have. Uh, since then. So, so you have to be prepared for little tiny things like that in this, in switch from school and you have to be prepared for some uncomfortability with it too. Yeah. And you're kind of back, but you're not like a slave to the schedule itself. Yeah. You have a great <laughs> flexible. Um, actually, do you mind talking about what you're doing right now? Cause I think um, yeah. as we look at the evolution of your path is you coming back to the classroom, but understanding what you need to thrive and how this. Yeah. yeah so, so um, I, I, I took a 20 year break between um, the last time I was on a campus to the, to the, the current um, position I'm holding on a campus. And I, even though I can't believe it was 20 years, I always intended to go back to some sort of school environment, whether that was a school I started or whether that was a school that I was really passionate about um, and can make a big difference in or a district or whatever. Um, I knew that, that I would go back because um, that, that was always part of who I was. And I always envisioned taking the things that I learned back into kind of a, a direct impact environment. Um, I didn't think, to be honest with you, I didn't think it would be at 50 years old. Um, I thought it would be literally like my retirement. Like I do all these great things. And then at like 60, I'd go back and for a few years, I'd enjoy life with kids, be chill, and then kind of 
uh, go, you know, kind of ride off into the sunset. Um, but, but the reason that I made the switch when I did was because I got burnt. I got really burnt out on, on startups, ed tech. And even though I was in nonprofits for a lot of that 20 years, as well as, as for profits, um, it, it was, it was a very similar sort of, um, pace. I was in nonprofits that were very entrepreneurial and, and moving very quickly. And I just kind of got burnt out on the pace of things. I also kind of just got burnt out on the pressure, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I realized that, that, uh, when I, when I take investment money from other people and you and I've had this conversation that, um, I, I feel a lot of, um, responsibility to those people, probably more so than I should, because even they know that this may not work out, right? At the same time, you know, they really want it to work out. And so I, I really take that pressure on to myself in a lot of ways, and I feel the weight of that expectation. And as a result, if I'm not really careful about taking care of myself, it's very easy for me to kind of get burnt out. Um, because I have such expectations for myself as well. And so after about six straight years between Zaption and Abel, going to San Francisco every day with a commute on top of that, um, and also doing some things that didn't really fulfill me. So uh, I had to do a lot of things as a CEO of Zaption that I don't really love. Um, a lot of things at uh, Abel uh, as the head of marketing that I, that I didn't really love. And that sort of just combined with the pressure and the time and all that just really burnt me out. And so I got really intentional about what do I want to do now? Not 10 years from now, but what do I want to do right now? And, and I made a list. I made a list of all the things that, that were sort of non-negotiables for myself. One of those was I didn't want to commute anymore. Um, and, and that was huge. Um, I didn't want to go to San Francisco in particular anymore just because I was just kind of burnt out and I, and I love San Francisco, but I didn't, I didn't want what I was experiencing on a daily basis in San Francisco to be, to, to make me not love San Francisco. So, so I, I, um, I didn't want to, um, uh, be in a situation where I was reporting to investors. Um, I, I didn't, um, be, uh, I wanted to have a lot of autonomy around not only my time, but also around what I was doing, um, uh, not having to necessarily work with a team or coordinate with a team or collaborate in the same way that I was in the business world. Um, and, and, I, and I wanted to get back to working with kids and teachers directly. Um, so uh, if remember, I, I talked a lot about kind of um, a skewing scale. So for 20 years, I worried about scale. Every thought I had was about scale. Here's a great program or a great school that's working really well. How do we scale it? Here's a start, a great product we have. How do we scale it? And I found, and this is what I, I after a lot of reflection, I found that every thought I had about scale, and that was keeping me from, from having a deep impact. And, and I kind of flipped it and said, in order for me to have scale, I need to first have deep impact and then scale that impact. And that sounds so obvious now because that's how almost every great company has ever been built or every great project has ever been built or every great um, uh, process has ever been built. You have to go deep first and scale out of that depth, and you get the opportunity to scale from that depth. But, but I, my head was just so involved in scale, scale, scale that oftentimes I was kind of forgetting the deep impact part. So that's why coming back to a school was very intentional. Um, and 
when I got the opportunity to, to meet with the folks here at Carnelette who were building this new center for innovation and they shared their vision for it. And they basically said, how can you help us meet that vision? I knew that I was going to be in a place where I could go deep, deep, deep as I wanted to with just 800 students and then figure out, okay, what about that experience do I really think is important that maybe, maybe I could scale later on, but, but I wasn't going to force it. And in fact, I was really wanted to be in deep connection with students and teachers and, uh, and build programs that, that just impacted this community. And that's what I've been able to do. Wow. There's, there's a lot there. I would say reflecting back on your non-negotiables is key. And, and, you know, those will change over time, but that is a really good tip for anyone who's thinking about just where are you at right now? What are your non-negotiables? What, what is not being met on that list and how can you explore other opportunities or advocate for yourself within your current situation. That's a really great practical piece of advice. And I know it seems common sense, but we very rarely take the time to do those things, right? Of like, here's what's fueling me. Here's what I absolutely know will help me thrive. Because in education, it's not about, okay, this year. It's about how can I really make an impact over decades, potentially, whether you're in the classroom or out of the classroom, but what fuels you? So that was huge. I was trying not to like bust up laughing when you're talking about scale. I feel like half of my conversations in the ed tech world are all about, does this scale? Does this scale? Let me give you some research on how it will scale. (laughs) Like I'm literally about to create an infographic on scalable things. (laughs) I'm like, Oh my God, just stop. It's all we talk about. It's not just education, right? It's all we talk about in, in business as well. Yeah. Um, But when it comes to scale in particular, I just, when you think about depth, do things right, do it deeply. And, and that from our team at LCG, we do as a value-driven approach around community in particular, mm-hmm. right? So you were talking about product and it's, it's certainly true for product, but if we're building a community of educators, let's go deep. Let's make sure we're making a huge impact in educators' lives, build upon that, make yeah. sure that as we grow, we continue to have the impact, but be very cognizant around the signals as we do grow. But that was such an important point I just wanted to bring up is that the well, depths. I agree with you. And, and we both know how hard that is uh, to do, to go, to go deep, especially with an online community. Uh, when we live in a, a, a time when you can be distracted by so many different things, um, you know, people, people start a lot of communities, but it's very rare that they go deep in them. And that's very, very difficult to do. And that's why I, I love the work that you're doing to help organizations think deeply about what, what they really want to get from their communities. Because a lot of people just say, oh, we need a community. And community is going to drive growth. Well, it's not quite that simple, as we know. Um, and, and a lot of people start communities that just fizzle out because they're not authentically engaging with their community. And they don't really want to do anything with them except for just shill their product for their product right and i think that's one of the things we learned at zaption um was uh we we had a um a very intentional uh purpose of trying to have conversations with educators we did it on twitter but we did it in other places as well um by not talking about the benefits of our product but by literally talking about the things they were making and so they were making these interactive video lessons. And so that's what we did. We highlighted them. We promoted them. We shared them. We give them kudos. We told them when we really thought something was exceptional. We highlighted them in our newsletter. We had a group of ambassadors that, um, that uh, would also create a lot of content and also 
uh, talk about um, what they were creating, but not necessarily just talk about how awesome Zaption was, right? And so it was very purposeful that it was it was a content driven conversation. And I know that that oftentimes that's what you suggest as well. I mean, that was one of the challenges we had at Able early on was that we didn't have a lot of content to kind of ground the conversation in. And even though we had this great project funded by the Gates Foundation called Unlocking Time, we were building content, but but how to structure a conversation about it, how to really engage people in that, that's tough work. And you, you don't hit it out of the ballpark the first time. You know, you strike out a dozen times before you try and figure out what's what's valuable to really talk about and what do people really care about that you can then build on. And it, and it takes time. Yeah, and it requires you to talk with your audience and hopefully community if you end up forming a community, but talking with them and not at them, Absolutely. collaborating with them to really understand their needs. And a lot of us at LCG, we talk a little bit about the magic in the middle, and that applies to community, to content, whatever you're doing. But one of those big Venn diagram circles is your audience needs. And the only way you understand your audience needs is if you actually hang out, listen, and collaborate with them. The other one really is, you know, what are your strategic priorities as an organization? And then the realistic one that overlaps is what are our organizational capabilities, our budget? How much can we actually devote to this? But when you find that magic overlap in the middle, whether it be content creation, community, um, social media, it all applies. But you got to listen and build community authentically. Like if you tell me, Alana, I want to build a community to leverage them into sales, and you just like, it's like the new red flag tweet. I mean, we'll, we'll tweet totally. that out, but you don't leverage people ever. And you don't ever start something with an end goal as inauthentic as that. Yeah. The authenticity is so key. Um, and I, there's so many companies in education and not in education that, that start a company because they just uh, start a community just because they know that they have to do it. And, and, and therefore if they do it, you know, it's going to lead to, to increased sales. Um, and I think the nice thing about the folks in the education space is, is, almost everybody to a T is extremely passionate about learning and about kids and about teachers and teaching. And so it's not hard for them to build really authentic communities because it's who they are, right? It's, it's in, but, but oftentimes they, they forget that they skip that step because they just knew they have to kind of do it. And you kind of have to remind them to come back you're good at this. You, you, you're passionate about this. Let's, let's dive deep into that passion. That's what's going to build your community, right? And that's what we found at, at Zaption as well, is that the more we just connected with individual teachers and, and talked to them about what they were doing and how we could help and, and how we could um, leverage video in new, engaging, interesting ways, right? That's what they want. They wanted to have conversations about too, they didn't want to have a conversation about how you buy Zaption, right, or the business model or or about, you know, how many um, uh, people across the country or whatever. They didn't care about that. You have to engage with them about what's meaningful. Yeah, and it's never about the product. It's about what challenges your audience is encountering and potentially how you can help um, yeah. and listen. And, and it's taking you away from your product centered. And a lot of times I work with founders that – have, because of all the things you talked about, scalability, extra investing, they lose their why. They lose their beginning why and passion. So a lot of using social media, community, and content is bringing them back to that so we can attract educators that are 
passionate about the topic too and are struggling with things that they could help with. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it's also one of the reasons why I'm no longer the best person to use social media. Uh, this is one of those classic examples where the 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 student has well exceeded, you know, the original teacher here um, in, in your case and what the work that you do, because because I know that it's a tremendous effort to to get that right, um, to strike the right tone, to strike the right uh, content messaging, you know, um, and um, and and that takes time and effort. And as an entrepreneur, what I've realized is that is that those the I I'm much better at the deeper conversation that pull you aside and let's have that deeper conversation that's more than 140 characters. Um, and and I need somebody who can translate that deeper conversation into 140 characters. Um, and and is really really good at it. Um, and, and that's why I really am impressed by so much by what you guys do and, and other people, there's lots of people who, who do this really, really well. Um, but, I, but I, it's not, it's not, um, it's not the way that I can engage with people as authentically as I'd like. And so that's how I know it's like, okay, I got to get somebody who can. <laughs> nice. Well, I know we can talk about community so much in education all the time, but I think I would love to hear from your vantage point, and I know this is a bigger question, but there's not many people that have been so deep in the ed tech world, been in the classroom, boots on the ground, and now are back in the classroom. And you're experiencing, just like a lot of educators, a pandemic firsthand of what it's like to be in the school classroom environment. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about just what it's like for you now, but almost like high level view too. So if we're like at a cocktail party and people are just saying, Hey, Chris, what's it like in education right now? Um, I think it's particularly helpful for marketers who are jumping into ed tech that just, you know, they don't know where to start. They don't know what it's like. Um, I know we could talk about this forever, but like, how, how do you get yeah. that conversation well, started? Well, the, fir the, the first thing I'd say is, you know, um, I, I, I have currently an embarrassment of riches that that and in a situation that I realize is not the situation that most educators around the country are in um, being at a private school. By the way, I never thought I'd ever work at a private school. Not once. Um, and and um, I'm a huge look at always in public education, all my products, services, everything I've ever done in my life has always been associated with public education. And but I wanted to use this opportunity to to at least understand what are some of the benefits and challenges of private education? And then for the pandemic to come into that midway, I mean, there's no doubt that the resources of a private school give you huge benefits. Um, and I'm not just talking money. I'm talking lots of you know, community support, et cetera. Um, in addition to in this particular moment in time, private schools had it much easier in terms of the flexibility that we had to make decisions around hybrid learning and in-person learning, where public institutions had to really uh, engage deeply with on a community by community basis on board levels and, and public, you know, health. Now, we have followed every public health guideline out there, but but there 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 are more variables, right, that come into play with public schools that uh, enabled us to kind of move move a little bit faster um, with things like hybrid and in-person learning. And, and what I will say is that it unfortunately created a much bigger schism than we ever imagined uh, it could have, right? I mean, we already knew there was a huge schism between the haves and the have-nots um, in, in our country and in our world. 
But I think the pandemic has exacerbated that. Everybody has said the same thing. I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. Um, but by, by seeing it, literally seeing it on a daily basis, what the students at my school, what we were able to do for them and with them um, by being in a private school versus what my son experienced in a public school right down the street, literally night and day. I mean, in, entirely different experiences. And yet, we're both in the same household, right? Um, and and so same thing with my older kids who are in college. What they experienced in a public, you know, institution in college during this time was very, very different. And so, so that's the first thing is that just calling out the inequity of the moment, and and then and then recognizing that this inequity is not going away anytime soon. In fact, if anything, it's going to continue to probably get bigger and, and wider. Um, which is something we absolutely have to address head on. And I know that's the conversation across the country and across the world. Um, but, but for me, when I think of what ed tech folks need to think about, they need to be dramatically aware of that. Um, and, and, and if they are not, if they are not addressing that inequity in some way, um, they are becoming more of the problem than the solution. Uh, and that even comes down to, to understanding the dynamics of schools today. So we are still in a pandemic. We are still, we are not, even though schools are back in session, it is a weird, wild world right now. Private schools, public schools, everybody's burnt out, like massively burnt out. Um, everybody is still dealing with not only the personal effects of the, of the, of the pandemic, but also um, on a daily basis, life is not back to normal. And of course, we all say, what is the normal? We don't know when normal uh, agreed to all of that. Right. But we just have to recognize that that the burnout is coming from the fact that we all want it to be over and we all are moving as fast as we can to have it be like normal. But it's not normal. And that's making it work 10 times faster as well. And so if you're not aware of that and you work in ed tech and you're trying to get your product in front of ed tech, uh, of educators, and you're not aware of what they are currently feeling, you are um, risking alienating all of those potential customers um, from the outset. Um, because this is not, you cannot market to them like you marketed pre-pandemic. It's impossible. I still get cold emails. I get tons of cold emails all the time, uh, sometimes cold calls. And I know we did that in my ed tech companies as well. But the, there is not even a moment to even even listen, finish that voicemail, delete, delete, delete. And it was like that before, but now it's every single one. Uh, and you can't, you can't also reach educators the way you could before with some of the in-person events. So it's a very different time to be trying to reach educators. And here's what I'd say. Here's my only advice is you don't need to work so hard. If your product is valuable, especially at this moment in time, we all know, look at all this, the, the product that have thrived during this, right? Educators are in high need. They will find you. They will come to you, right? All you need to do is support them. And, and I think the good ed tech companies today know that because their volume went way up, right? And they're just scrambling to support them. No need to overmarket. No need to oversell. In fact, no need to even improve your products dramatically. It's all about customer service, stability, and, and supporting those customers at this moment in time. And that's your best marketing, right? You're, and the teachers will market for you. That's what we found at Zaption. The more we just let the teachers market for us, I can still tell you the best day. The best day for us was 
We had just put out a new website. We had already we had been launched for about maybe six months, but we we did we revamped our public website, and we and we came out with with a, an intro video that kind of talked about um, essentially how you shouldn't just watch videos; you should learn from them. That became our slogan: "Don't just watch, learn." Right? And and I can't I can tell you exactly within weeks we started seeing educators post their own videos online about how to create options. So we didn't have to create our own support materials. Teachers were doing it for us, right? And they would all use our language. We said, don't watch, don't just watch, learn. And they said, same thing, don't just watch, learn. Make sure you get some value out of these interactive videos, you know, and, and use data that's meaningful. They used all our language. We didn't have to do anything, right? And it was, it was because it worked, it, it, it spoke to them, right? We were, we were providing a solution that provided uh, 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 solved a big problem for them around video that they couldn't use it meaningfully in the ways that they wanted to and, and know what students were learning from it. And once we gave them the right language to talk about it, it just exploded and we didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of brings back to be a human first, be empathy driven, especially in this time of educators. And you talked about all the things that they're going on. But on top of that, there's a severe anxiety of just the uncertainty, but beyond the uncertainty, safety. Like I have educators break down and, and have first panic attacks that they've never had before because they're worried about their own safety in the classroom. And there's just on and on and on. But imagine someone coming to you with a hard sell in the middle of it all. And like you said, if your product, your product will shine through all of this if it's truly making a difference. But connect with them, care, be human first, and the rest of it will lead. And I know that sometimes in the sales, they don't, they, they tell you that in order for a means to an end, but what if you just authentically connected to them and listened to them? Yeah. They will the eventually it for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The last thing I would just say is, is I think everybody recognizes you, me, everybody that we're all burnt out on on online interactions. We're burnt out on Zoom. We're burnt out on on just being online, and um, you have to recognize that. Uh, you have to you have to know that that what you could do a year ago, at the beginning of the pandemic um, or March of or April of 2020, where everybody was on Zoom and it was like the only way that we could connect with people, and it was still interesting, and people were doing webinars and blah blah blah. That moment has passed. We're all burned out on Zoom, and what everybody wants is is real, human, authentic interaction like you're talking about. That's why Clubhouse has taken off, right? Um, because it's audio. It's not video, right? It's it's a different mode because we're burnt out on the video, um, rightfully so. Um, now, I'm not a huge fan of Clubhouse. That's a whole different conversation, um, but... But I will say that that you have to be you have to know the right methods for the right moment in time, and it's a challenging moment, right? You can't see people at conferences. Conferences are virtual, but people are burnt out on on virtual, right? Um, and you can't hold as many webinars. You're going to get low volume on webinars because that moment has sort of passed. Now it'll all come back, right? But it's going to come back in moderation. And so you've got to find where teachers are willing to engage with you today, knowing that you only have them for a few minutes. And don't expect more than a few minutes out of them. You, you, they only, they only had a limited amount of time anyhow. And now it's even less. And so don't push it. 
It's an invitation to engage, but don't invite them every week. Don't invite them every two weeks. Maybe it's once a month you invite them to engage with you, right? And know that you've got a million other invites for the same thing and a million other responsibilities, and there's no way that you're going to get a huge critical mass at this point. Yeah, really helpful. As marketers, we're always trying to figure out just where our audience is at. And like you said, it's, it's sometimes not even changing the, the medium, but how you interact on the channel as well. So not only are new mediums and channels popping up, but it's, it's how you use it um, as well. And we're constantly tweaking that. If you're audience forward and if you're trying to build a community and community centered as a business. Anyways, I, I could talk forever with you. I get so inspired every time we talk together. So I thank you so much for your time. I think to close out, I'd like to ask you one question that we tend to ask all of our audience is around inspiration, especially in this time of anxiety and burnout. I'd be curious on what do you do potentially that inspires you? Is it something that you're currently reading? Is it in a Netflix show? Is it an exercise routine? But what gets you going when you have those days that you're just like, wow, I, I'm just going to count the hours because I'm feeling overwhelmed? I wish I could say it was exercise. Although, although I did recently buy uh, an electric bike. And I've been riding it to school every day. And even though it's cheating, and I fully recognize that an e-bike is cheating, uh, it's just enough to get me outdoors. And that, that does inspire me. But it's not exercise. Um, uh, my first thought was that, it was that it's, you know, the interaction uh, with students and teachers, and in particular, students. Um, I can have a terrible day. Um, you know, we, every, every day in the classroom, you know, you have the opportunity for to be to be awesome and to be a hero or to be like a villain right and you know every once in a while like when i have a bad day then the next day comes around and I have a great interaction with a student or a two students or what have you right so for me it's about it's about students and then i'll add on to that that it's about it's about when i see students deeply engage in something meaningful so right now we're building a tiny house with um 30 you know young women um and it, it's it's an amazing project it's uh i learn something new every single day i make mistakes every single day so do they um but it's an incredible project uh and and when you see them engaged in working on this tiny house and designing it and collaborating and literally putting bolts into steel and cutting steel like that's inspiring that's completely inspiring in so many ways um the the last thing though be honest uh i won't be the la the the last person to admit this but i find ted lasso really inspiring now granted he's a white male around the same age and all that sort of stuff so i i recognize that there's some lots of bias in in this but but just the positivity of of the show um and it, second season was a little different than first season admittedly but but um i just love that and i think anybody who is a coach or is um you know has uh, has to rally people, whether it's students or teachers around kind of something, um, and also has to be human and authentic and fail. Like it's, it, it's, it's pretty inspiring. And so I'll, I'd be lying if I, if there weren't some Ted Lassoisms that haven't shown up on my big media wall here at the school or brought them into my class or even my coaching. Cause I coach basketball too. Um, I, I find it uh, kind of that inspiring at the moment. And I'm, I'm just really thankful that that there's people out there who brought some, so, something joyful like that into the world. Yeah, it reminds us all to 
kindness is a choice that you can choose every day, you know, optimism. Um, I mean, the first season was interesting because there were so many opportunities for him to be pessimistic and he was just like doing his own thing and being optimistic. And I loved that, you know, his cheesy believe sign. (laughs) Do you have one of those? Right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So that's what kind of keeps me going. Um, But I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm just one of these crazy people that, that I'm always interested in learning something new. And there's a, there's a school out in San Francisco. It's one of my favorite schools uh, called Brightworks. Everybody should go check it out. The micro school started by Gaber Tully. Just unbelievably amazing. And their tagline is um, uh, everything's interesting. And I realized when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that's how I find the world. Everything is interesting. Uh, something's more interesting than others, but um, that's kind of how I approach life. And, and whether it's a conversation with a pers- another person where I can delve deep into what they're interested in or whether it's just finding something I'm interested in and having the freedom to go and explore it and then figure out how to bring it to teachers and kids um, or my family, then, then that's just kind of how I approach everything. Awesome. Well, we'll put links to everything you've talked about in our show notes. In our show notes, you can find them at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash five, making it super easy for you. So it's just our website backslash five. You'll get all of the links that Chris is talking about. And in addition, we'll show you how to get in contact with Chris. And Chris, for vocal reasons, do you want to just talk about what's the best way for people to follow you, get inspired by you, maybe look about the tiny house project if that's online? Yeah, I would say um, I'm the worst at sharing um, all the stuff that I'm doing. Um, you'd think that I'd have like a, a website that's had it all, and um, and I don't. Uh, but uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't post there very often, but it's at Fitzwalsh. Um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn too, of course. Um, but you you can also look at my podcast, which is School180.com. Uh, that's for me. That's a that's a passion project around having great conversations with other educators and learning from them, learning together, and also kind of use it as a way to give back to them. If you listen to the podcast, you'll kind of see. Um, and so you can check that out. Um, but I'm also open. You know, I love talking to anybody about all this stuff. And so you're welcome to just email me um, at cwalsh at uh, org, um, or my personal email. You can find that as well kind of online pretty easily. So, um, you know, hit me up and I'd love to, to, to learn from you and have a, a, a conversation about how we can continue to change the world. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I learned so yeah, much. Thank I you. Yeah, I know our audience learned so much. And this really, you know, there are many times where you were talking where I literally had goosebumps. And I hope the audience does as well as they start figuring out this is just a hard time we're all living in. We're all trying to figure it out. But I hope I can provide people like you that have had decades in the school system, out of the school system. And we're all just here mission driven, trying to make an impact. And so hopefully we share some words of wisdom for you all as you all navigate the wonderful world of ed tech. Um, Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alana. Thank you for the opportunity to chat. I always love talking with you and I'm always inspired by, by the work that you do. That's amazing. But more importantly, the, the mission and own particular passion around education and your your desire to to make the world a better place and so um uh, I, i'm glad that you're doing this and and I'm, I'm glad that maybe one or two people out there might find some value in it hopefully one person beyond my mom who who gives me notes on this <laughs> on every single episode <laughs> i know the feeling i know the feeling <laughs> all right um and again you can all 
Access the show notes at leoniconsultinggroup.com backslash five. And we will see you all next time on another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Thank you all. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoniconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.